The Amanda Wagner Podcast is the place to eavesdrop and participate in conversations about making choices around how you spend your time, who you surround yourself with, and figuring out what you want to be known for. This is a place to talk about the challenges of bravery, living thoughtfully and strategically, and finding a way to be known for something that matters. In this episode, we talk about what anxiety feels like with a clear analogy that might help explain how it feels to be anxious to someone who doesn't get it. We discuss anxious perfectionism and how this cocktail of personality traits manifests itself in our daily lives. And we share why I think anxiety is truly a gift and why anxious people are so damn good at some things. And in WWAWD, we answer Ashley's question about reevaluating priorities during the pandemic and then sticking with those as we transition back to quote unquote normal. Looking forward to that question. If you consider yourself an anxious person, you might feel like you're always spinning your wheels or you're plagued with indecision and you experience what some would call higher than normal or more frequent than usual bouts of worry and panic. And if you're like me, you can't turn it off. You might be more anxious about some things than others. For example, around certain people or when it comes to specific tasks, but chances are the people around you wouldn't describe you as chill, easygoing, or breezy. If anybody describes me as easygoing, it tells me they don't know me at all. I am the least chill person. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Full credit goes to my wonderful friend, Nicole, who always says, don't worry, I'm breezy. And she and I both know that we are both the opposite of breezy. (laughs) Some people say that the opposite of anxiety is trust. Trusting yourself, your decisions, and your ability to bounce back and be resilient to challenges. I see this perspective and I get it. But I don't think anxiety is all bad. And I don't think being anxious means that there's a complete lack of trust. As someone who's really prone to polarity in my thinking, I continue to learn that there's so much to be said for the middle ground, even if it doesn't come naturally for me to think that way. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When it comes to my very black and white thinking, I call in the experts. When I meet my therapist or coach, I say, I pay for the gray someone to help me see what exists within these ends of the spectrum. Are there times when I wish I was breezy? Sure. But are there ways to channel my anxiety into something meaningful, something productive, and see it as a strength and not a weakness? Hell yes. I often refer to my anxiety or some of my more intense tendencies as that's the gift of anxiety coming through. I was talking to a really special friend of mine last week who's experiencing some intense anxiety and trying to find a way to describe it to the breezier people in your life who might not understand what anxiety feels like and how pervasive it can be. Oftentimes these people just don't get it or they give BS feedback like just let it go and don't worry about it. And to me, those words are, are meaningless and can actually be offensive to somebody who's anxious because it says they don't get it. So the example that I came up with, with my friend, was about a computer. So imagine your laptop. Even if you aren't doing anything on your laptop, the screen is open, but you aren't clicking around, you're not searching for something or working on a task, your computer processor is always running. 
So even if you leave your laptop sitting without a charger, without paying attention to it, that processor is always running and it slowly dies. That's what my anxiety feels like. There's always noise, something's always being processed in the background, and without attention or perspective on what's happening or with some form of recharging, the battery is eventually depleted. And if this sounds exhausting, you're right. Anxiety is exhausting. What I'm processing in the background might be what's going to happen next and looking to the future. And it might be the past, something I said or did that I'm silently ruminating on it hours, days, years later. It might also be that there's a stain on my shirt that I didn't notice and I hope nobody sees it. Or that my outfit would really have been better if I had found the perfect shoes. All of these things are running through my brain all the time. And are there days where it's a little bit less? Of course. Are there days where I have a heightened level of anxiety? Sure. But for the most part, this idea of a processor running in the background is one that really describes what it's like for me. LP, how do you, if at all, experience anxiety? I definitely do experience anxiety. It's kind of a bit of a roller coaster for me. It depends on my workload. It depends on my caffeine consumption big time. Uh, But it's usually there in some sort of capacity. On days where I have a lot to do, that's when I have maybe not as deep of breaths or my palms are maybe a little bit sweaty. Or my favorite one is the stress BO because we all know that stress BO smells worse than normal BO. I didn't know this. Oh yeah. Stress sweat smells so much worse. And unfortunately when I am anxious or like stressed about something, I stink. (laughs) Yeah. Very interesting. I didn't know this. And I will, I will put an, I'll put an article in the show notes about how stress sweat smells differently than I thought you were going to say, I will invite you over when I'm really stressed and you can see for yourself. Get right in there and sniff. Um, But so on days where the anxiety rears its ugly head, I do have some of those symptoms. I've found ways to manage it, but life or work doesn't always care about my yoga practice or about the amount of sleep I got last night. So it does creep back in. So the anxiety is fairly consistent. It's not crippling. Maybe every once in a while, like one day a month or two, I find it really impacts me. Maybe it's just a perfect storm of stuff um, is when the anxiety really kind of amps up. Um, But I'm, I'm pleased that as I've gotten older, I've found ways to deal with it. And I can feel when the anxiety is, is becoming more prominent and I can find ways to bring it back. I know that for you, you manage your anxiety with, again, your caffeine intake. You really monitor that. You also do yoga and take care of yourself and breathe and sleep. For me, my anxiety is mostly monitored by, yes, paying attention to it, getting lots of sleep, which I'm pretty unapologetic. I get eight to 10 hours a night. It's the reason I don't commit to anything before 9am. And I also have an anxiety medication that I take every day. I have no, no shame about it. I'm happy to talk about it with anybody because I know it has helped me manage my anxiety. How does that computer analogy sit with you? I think the analogy is great. I think it's a wonderful way of describing it. And I mean, it's not an analogy that will work for some people, but I find that 
on those days where I really feel it, that's a great way of portraying that slow burnout. The battery display slowly running out, the screen is getting dimmer, the processor doesn't work quite as quickly. I think that's a wonderful way of describing it. And that's how I feel some days. But on the other hand, the way the anxiety feels sometimes is, you know, like the butterflies you get before you give a presentation or a pitch Mm -hmm. or what people used to say to me before, like before I would compete in public speaking, that if you're feeling something, it's because you care. So depending on what I'm dealing with that day and what level of anxiety I'm at, sometimes those anxious feelings are a reminder that what I'm doing is important to me and I'm doing something that matters. And that's why that anxiety creeps up. Again, everyone's experience is different, but sometimes I I think about why do I have this anxiety? Why am I feeling this way? Is it because I'm super passionate? Is it because I'm super nervous about this thing, really finding the source of the anxiety? And then sometimes the analogy can change. I love that you brought up more things in this computer analogy. I think we're going to copyright this. Let's take this to the bank because not only is it that the computer is dying and depleting, but you said the screen is dimmer. Things aren't working quite as fast. And I can really internalize when I am at my most anxious, am I making decisions quickly? Absolutely not. Am I able to deal with lots of different stimuli at one time? No, it takes me longer to do things. It takes me more, more time and energy to actually process something. And I need more recovery or more bounce back time. I, I'm certainly not my most productive self. So with my version of anxiety, which is fairly pervasive in my life, it's something that I, I experience. Um, I often say anxiety is my resting state. Every decision feels big. Every choice I make feels like life or death or like the repercussions of making a decision are simply too strong. And in some ways it feels like I have an adolescent brain. Like I assume everyone is always watching me or judging me. And that's where, when I say something that sounds really superficial, like I have a stain on my shirt or the shoes don't match my outfit, it feels big to me. And what this means is that I overprepare. My anxiety shows up in that I want to make sure that I have everything I need for every possible scenario. So I use the language, I'd rather be looking at it than looking for it. That means that if I'm packing, I'm packing everything. I am one of those people that if I'm away for a weekend, guaranteed I don't wear three quarters of the things that I pack, but I have them with me. If I go away for one night and there's a chance that the hotel has a hot tub, I've got three different bathing suits just in case. And it's not so much of a, because it depends how I feel. It's a, well, is everybody else going to be wearing one pieces or what's appropriate here? Or should I wear something colorful? Or what if I want to wear the black bottoms with the polka dot top? It's that constant overthinking and rumination. My hope is that this discussion isn't triggering anybody or making them think that these thoughts or these thinking patterns are something they should aspire to. Or like, oh, should I be thinking about packing three bathing suits instead of one? Absolutely not. This is just my version. Packing a suitcase is a nightmare. I would rather bring my wedding dress with me 
than not have it for that one perfect moment that I might need it just in case. And this also relates back to a previous episode where we talked about this idea of trusting your gut. Anxiety makes it really hard to trust my gut because my gut is the expert of overanalyzing and ruminating on all of the things. Now, what really ups the ante on anxiety is cocktailing it with perfectionism. So anxious perfectionism has its own rules. Indecision takes over action the majority of the time. For me, that means I need to know all the things before I can even start. It means that I have to do all the courses, get a master's degree, or have an MBA to run a business. That is something that comes up over and over again as I work with more business owners who say, but I never went to business school. And I can say, great, neither did I. That doesn't mean we don't have the skills, but it's something in my mind all the time. Should I be going back to school? Do I need an MBA to be credible or legitimate? And it also affects me in smaller ways within the business means that I can't just write a newsletter or put out a blog. means that I really have to think about it and plan it. And I have to have consumed all the information on how to write a blog, what the perfect newsletter looks like, instead of just writing. My anxiety means that I get trapped in the how instead of doing the what or focusing on doing it so that I can really meet the why. Liz, how do you experience anxiety and perfectionism together? Anxiety and perfectionism are an interesting duo. I like to believe that I do very good work and I make sure that all of the work I do is very good. Anxiety for me rears its head when I'm going through the details and making sure that everything is excellent. And when something isn't excellent, that's when the anxiety is like, whoa, hello, I'm here. I don't so much deal with the indecision part so much, but I do get really obsessive about the little things until they're perfect. Right. That's something that I, I really find when those two play together, that's, that's kind of how they're, they're showing up. I, I saw a meme the other day, as I do, I see memes all day long. It's a, weird, <laughs> a weird career I have. I saw a meme the other day about a flashback to school and roll call and the teacher running through the names and you're sitting at your desk anxiously waiting and waiting and thinking about how you'll say here. Do I say here? Do I say present? Do I say good morning? Do I raise my hand? Crack a joke. Yeah. What do you do? So, and I remember that feeling and that's a feeling that I get before meetings with new people or in situations where I need to be on. And I think there's some perfectionism at play there, making sure that I'm portraying the best possible version of myself. It's, it was incredible. I read that meme and it was like, other people felt that way when the teacher was doing roll call. It was just a, a weird little flashback and a feeling that I very much still have today. I find, I'm so glad you brought this up because there are those little moments where I feel so comforted going, other people experience this too. This isn't just me. And earlier you were talking about how your anxiety, you've been told that it means you care. Does that be, just mean I care about every single thing that's happening to me all the time if I have this constant state of anxiety? 
Maybe. I was saying that that's how I choose to look at it sometimes. It's like, yeah. oh, if I'm like really stressed about this particular thing, maybe it means it's, it's really important. But my resting state isn't anxiety. Right. And again, that's just one of the differences in how it shows up. And that lends itself beautifully to why I say I have the gift of anxiety. So for me, saying that has has kind of illuminated things for me or it's given me some comfort with feeling anxious. So I say I have the gift of anxiety because A, it has to be a gift or it will send me into a spiral of all the things I'm doing wrong and all the things I have done wrong for the last 30 something years. The second reason I say it's a gift is because it really means that I pay attention to details and I, like you, do really excellent work. I do not submit anything that is less than my best work. It also means that I have a series of notes in my phone all the time. So when I hear little details about people, about their lives, I make a point of remembering them. It means I'm a pretty good gift giver because I remember tiny little things of like, oh, this person mentioned this one time. I also ask my friends their parents' names because I think that those little details actually help. Uh, improve relationships and really get an understanding. So there's nothing that, that pleases me more than being able to say, Liz, how are Francis and Andy? Amanda is an excellent gift giver. And I think that it is, it is your gift of anxiety that makes you such a beautiful friend. Like, I think that that's, that's truly, it's part of your identity. It's who you are, but it's, it's those little things like the notes that you have in your phone and that you always know my parents' name and my sister's name and you ask how everyone is. That's what makes you who you are. So the fact that you have it as a gift, I think is a wonderful way of framing it because you wouldn't be you without it. Thank you for saying that. Um, I'm, I'm pausing because I do think, yes, it has to be a gift or it will cripple me. It's not something I've ever really talked about, not because I am ashamed of it or don't know how to talk about it or process it, but really just because I still can do anything that I want. It just changes how I do things. And so for me, when I say I have the gift of anxiety, it means that as I get used to living this way and expressing what it's like to be anxious, the time that I sit in the pit of anxiety is actually shorter and shorter every time. So the amount of time I spend feeling indecisive or conflicted is shorter than it ever has been. And to me, the goal is not to eliminate anxiety. I will never, I'm confident in this, I will, maybe I shouldn't say never, it is unlikely that I will ever be a breezy person in all areas of my life. Isn't that great news? Because I do great work. I pay attention to details. I care a hell of a lot about a hell of a lot of things. To take anxious perfectionism one step further, what does it mean to be so fiercely ambitious, a perfectionist, and pairing that with ongoing anxiety? Like I've said before, it slows me down. It makes me second guess. And it means that I have to focus really hard and set aside my anxiety when I do big things. It means pep talks in the mirror. 
It means asking people to say things to me, to me or to remind me that I'm good at what I do and I'm good at being who I am. Anxious perfectionism paired with ambition means that I ask for a lot of permission, validation, and reassurance. It is no surprise that my love languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, and gifts because I need that constant reassurance that I'm doing something right. And similar to how I said, you know, I'm shortening the time that that anxiety holds me back. What I'm also doing is lessening the amount of reassurance that I need. Liz, how do you pair your anxiety with your ambition and still get shit done? I think that that my anxiety manifests when I think about all of the big things that I want to accomplish if I'm not planning. So if I think about what I want, the anxiety creeps up if I'm not thinking about how I'm going to get there. I think that because I'm such a planner, we've talked in the past about how many to-do lists I have and how many different calendars I have and, and all of the planning that I need to do my life. I think that without all of those plans, I would have more anxiety. So when I'm trying to figure out what it is that I want, I need those plans or I will become more anxious. This is one of the most personal episodes I think that we've shared. And again, I'm pretty much an open book and I'm always happy to talk about these things. What I would really like to know from our listeners is if you're an anxious person, how does your anxiety show up for you? And specifically what that means is, do you have a hard time sleeping? Are you particularly anxious when it comes to tackling a specific task? Or are there certain people that really bring that out in you? For me, I know that I'm a little bit more anxious around people that I'm trying to impress. I've said before that my biggest fear in life is getting in trouble and I want to impress people all the time. So I'm at this really weird crux of how do I impress people? How do I do my best work without neglecting my own needs, my own boundaries, my own sort of standards. So I would love to hear from our listeners, how does your anxiety show up for you? And bonus points, tell us how your anxiety is a gift. What does it make you really good at? How does your anxiety manifest itself into being a really good gift giver or somebody who loves details or making sure that things are done well all the time? I would love to hear that anxiety is not a fault. It is not a weakness. It can actually make us really powerful and important people. We're going to move on to WWAWD now, or what would Amanda Wagner do? We have a really great question from Ashley today who says, while COVID has brought lots of challenges, it has also provided an opportunity to step back and reevaluate our priorities to determine what's really important. How do we continue this as life goes back to normal without getting sucked into our old ways? This is a great question. And I know that Liz will cut out the audible sigh of relief and understanding that I had hearing this question. Where my mind goes is first to the word priorities. And a priority means one. It's one thing or very few things that we think of. And I think our tendency right now is that we have 10 priorities and we're trying to play this balancing act of all these plates spinning above us. And at some point, something's got to give. 
So first, let me congratulate you on actually stepping back and evaluating what is a priority to figure out what's really important. That is not easy work. So the fact that you have been able to do that over the last couple months really speaks to how important this is. So let's not forget that. The second piece is, so how do we continue this as life goes back to normal without getting sucked into your old ways? That comes down to boundaries and expectations for me. So setting the boundaries of what does my quote unquote new normal look like? And what do I want to keep versus what am I willing to give? Coach Jenny has a beautiful exercise called the what's gotta's. And she talks about in order for something to happen. So in order to make this thing a priority in your life, what's got to happen? What's got to change? What's got to wait? And what's got to give? And this tool that she uses really helps prioritize. If I want this one thing to happen, some things are going to have to give. That might mean your social media presence has to come down. It might mean that you might have to change how many emails you send or blogs you put out. It might mean that your workday looks a little bit different. When it comes to setting expectations, and Liz and I talked about this in our two-part episode about productivity processes and self-preservation, often when we set our own boundaries and tell people we set that expectation, they are okay with it. So that means that if you know what this boundary is, Tell some people, put it in your email signature, let them know ahead of time. And if you are somebody who is running your own business and you're working with clients, or if you are within a company or organization, you are allowed to say, I don't take meetings on this day. Or in my mornings, I focus on this specific task and other people will work around it. They absolutely will. So by protecting your own time and protecting your own needs, you're actually going to be better off in the long run. One thing that came up in the episode about productivity, which I highly recommend you listen to that two-part episode, is this idea of what do you actually have to do? What do you have to delegate? What can you drop and what can you redesign? So if you already know how you want to decrease some of your commitments or you want to reprioritize your life, figure out what's got to go. What are you going to drop? What are you going to delegate? What are you going to redesign so that you are truly keeping those best things that have worked for you during COVID and the quarantine and keep those without being sucked into your old ways? I really hope that answers your question. If for any reason it doesn't, or if you're hearing this and saying, yes, 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 please let us know on Instagram. Join us at the Amanda Wagner. We would love to hear more. Thank you so much for your question, Ashley. I know that you are not the only one wondering this. We've all had this extra time to reevaluate our days and how we spend our time. And I know a lot of people have found new routines that when they compare that to their normal workday or to what life used to be in the before times, they don't really mesh together. So I think this is wonderful advice, AW. Thank you for sharing because I know Ashley is not alone. And we want more questions from our listeners. Please submit them via Instagram at the Amanda Wagner. You can leave a comment on a post. You can send us a DM. 
or you can visit theamandawagner.com. There's contact info there. So you can send us an email with your question if, uh, if you don't want to do all that typing on your phone. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was a great question. And we love hearing them and providing really thoughtful answers. And once again, if you are an anxious person, please join us and tell us on Instagram, how does your anxiety show up for you? We really want to make sure that every person listening to this feels like they're not alone and that somebody else knows what this feels like. And of course, if you have an analogy that works better for you, similar to our computer processor one, share with us. We would love to hear it. And for bonus points, tell us how your anxiety is a gift. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. We live by Don't Ask, Don't Get. So of course we ask you to follow along with us on social media at The Amanda Wagner and sign up for the newsletter at theamandawagner.com. Plus share this episode with your anxious friends and even your breezy friends. Maybe this will help them breathe and remember that we're all different types of people, but there are strengths in what we do. And of course, please know how much we appreciate your messages, your comments on Instagram and your reviews on iTunes. This podcast is completely self-funded. We have no ads or sponsors, especially not from Triscuit, as I openly hated on them a few episodes back. This really means that every review counts so much because it helps more people like you find the podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we will talk to you in our next episode. Yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. And until then, we'll see you on the internet. <laughs>